Good morning, everybody. One day, Greg and I were out for a walk early morning um, on a piece of land where we have some cows. And as we were walking in this brisk morning, we had with us one of our many grafted-in grandsons. And uh, as we're traveling down this road, from the brush, this huge cedar thicket, out comes running this dog, this beautiful black-and-white border collie. The only thing is, we don't have a dog. So I don't know whose dog this was, and I grabbed it by the collar and checked its tags and just had a veterinarian rabies tag, no name. So we made the dog continue on our walk with us. We walked for, oh, about an hour, hour and a half in the morning, and as we're walking, we come upon part of the group of our cows, just a portion of them, maybe, I think there were probably five or six of them there, and these cows are um, range in about 1,800 to 2,000 pounds apiece. Well, we don't have a dog, and they don't see dogs, so they saw that dog and thought that dog was a coyote. Kind of looked like the shape of a coyote, had the tail, bushy tail, and they went crazy. I had rabid cows running all around me as if, I mean, I'm pretty small and standing in the middle of five or six cows that are weighing about 2,000 pounds apiece, going nuts. I'd never seen this before. And the dog was running away from them, and the cows were chasing the dog. And I grabbed our little grafted in, well, he's not little, but our grafted in grandson, and I pushed him behind a tree and got behind the tree with him thinking, okay, we're just going to stay here until this stops because this is really scary. And between Greg and I, we managed to get the dog away from the cows, um, and we were several hundred yards away when apparently one of the members of the group that wasn't with the first encounter saw us from about, I'm going to say, a couple hundred, 300 yards away, which is no threat to her, and normally they don't even pay any attention to that. I'm walking grandson, I guess he's kind of tall, here, Greg here, and next thing I hear is hooves beating the ground. And I turn behind me and I see this tank bearing down on us, dirt flying, I, I, and I grabbed, I grabbed the kid again and got behind another tree and we're all standing there. This time the dog was a really smart dog, I wish I could have kept him. He got right behind us, behind the tree. So there we are, behind this tree, all of us, and the cow, 909, comes up, plants her feet, and she is totally perplexed. She's looking at me. She's looking at the dog. She's looking at me, looking at the dog. Her nose are flaring. Her little nostrils are going. And she is looking at me like, what are you doing? You got the coyote behind the tree. What <laughs> I learned that day is that all the times I've hauled 50-pound sacks of cubes out to them to give them a healthy treat, all the times I've gotten to a skid steer with hay forks and lifted up a 1,000-pound roll of hay and brought it out to them so they'd have something to eat because we didn't have enough grass, 
And all the times that I sat with them while they were birthing their calves, I had been accepted. Greg had been accepted as part of the herd. We were now official. And what and I didn't never even knew that that was possible, but I've learned since that that's that that has happened to other people. And the second thing I learned was that 909 was serving me the only way that she could by protecting me from the threat. When we profess our faith in Jesus Christ, we join a family, a family of believers, and we are grafted into that family no matter how old we are, how young we are, what color we are, where we came from, what our background was, what religion we went to, what thing we worshipped before we knew Jesus Christ. We all become part of the same family. And if you call this church your church, look around. This is our family. Look around. This is our family. And we are part of a bigger family of other churches that honor Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior in our community and even to the ends of the earth. Okay. And one thing I've noticed is that when we get saved, that is for anyone who doesn't understand that term, that means when we accept Jesus into our heart, we fall into one of three categories generally. The first one is we receive Christ as our Lord and Savior, and we're good to go. We don't need to do anything more about it. That's it. The second group, the second category, is the people who, caught, who catch immediately, catch Christ's vision. They become a student of him. They, they learn. They seek out being discipled. They're serving in their church, their community, their families, and, they're, and then they're discipling others as they're being discipled continuing to learn and teach at the same time. The third category are people who receive Christ. And I'm going to tell you that right now in my life, I fall into this category, that I'm going to church, I'm part of a body, but I know inside of me there's something more that I could be doing to advance the kingdom here on earth. Now, Pastor Allen last week covered quite well that our salvation is not dependent upon what we work at in service. So the, what's born, our, our salvation, what is born of our salvation is the desire to change from the person who we were to the person who more accurately reflects, reflects Christ. So we develop his character and his image, peace by peace, most of the time, not all at one time. And truthfully, i got to tell you, for me, I'm still not there yet. I don't know, that may be a shock to some of you. But I still am not at that point in my life where I can say, I have all the characteristics of Christ now. I am still a work in progress. James 2 says that without faith... Works is dead. Okay. He, he goes on to say that Abraham and Rahab were both were justified by their works 
and not only by their faith, by what they did, not only by what they believed. Okay. So I'm going to start, I speak to you today, if you fall into the category one or the category three, I'm going to talk to you today. If you were in category two, if you caught the vision, you're doing, you're, you're ministering, you're doing everything you can, you can't leave. You have to stay in here, <laughs> okay? And so I'm going to talk to you about our service if you fall into category one or three, what it means to be a part of the body. And because that's such a huge thing, I'm going to focus in on what keeps us from serving each other in the body. Henry Drummond, in his address, The Greatest Thing in the World, said this. It's a quote. What is the use of having faith? It is to connect the soul with God. And what is the object of connecting man with God? That he may become like God. But God is love. Hence, faith, the means, is in order to love the end. Love, therefore, obviously is greater than faith. And he says, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Our love is developed through service to each other. And since we're going through the Gospel of John, we're going to look at scripture from John 12, verse 26. And it's up on the uh, overheads. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. Let's see that together. Can we do that? Okay. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him, my father, will honor. C.H. Spurgeon, in his uh, address, The Rule and Reward of Serving Christ, breaks this scripture down into three, three key concepts. The first concept is the rule of service, that we have to learn what God requires. We have to learn his commands. We have to learn his precepts. We have to obey them in order to imitate Christ. We have to follow his example. We have to fellowship in the church with other believers. First part, if anyone serves him, me, let him follow me. Point number two, fellowship of service. We don't stay still. We have to do something. We are not here just to hold a spot in the queue to heaven. Okay? So we, we have to do something. And what happens when we serve other people What's born of that is character and confidence and love for each other. So if you're not serving because you don't love, you've got it backwards. You've got to love, you've got to serve in order to develop that love for Christ, that love for each other. Okay. We know that faith, service, and love all go together. The third point is the reward of service. 
him my father will honor. We have all, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, have been promised the same reward. I don't care if you came to him when you were born or you came to him when you're old and stooped over. We have all been promised the same reward, and that's everlasting life with Lord Jesus Christ in heaven. So what I'm going to focus on are seven things now. We're going to kind of tick through them pretty quickly. um, That uh, Some of these are truths that have been mixed with some lies. You're going to have heard them before. You may have even said them. I've said them. That's how I knew to put them down here. Number one, if you weren't saved when you were young, or you didn't pay any attention in church, or you didn't have parents who took you, and you didn't go with friends, and you get saved later in life, which was my, my situation, I didn't get saved. You know what I was thinking? I was really smart. I knew my job. I was good at it. I could perform in the workplace. My bosses liked me. I got raises. I got promoted. I didn't know anything about God. I had to admit I was ignorant. But I was so used to doing everything myself, I didn't want anybody to know that I didn't know anything about God. And maybe some of you are in that same place where you didn't have a relationship. I didn't know the stories. Maybe you didn't have a relationship with with your with God from a young age, and someone starts talking about Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and you're wondering, what are they talking about? That's somewhere in this book, and it's a big book to look through. So what happened for me was um, I didn't want anyone I didn't I didn't want anyone to know I didn't know about God, so I didn't get discipled. I didn't learn. Because I didn't want to expose my ignorance. And what's more is, you know what people had the audacity to say to me? They called me a baby Christian. A baby Christian. What are we what were they thinking? Seriously. The stigma attached to being a baby in this culture, in this day and age, is not one of, wow. It's one of, am I right? We think about babies are there to be served. You are that baby's master. Who has a new baby in here? I know there are several parents I saw coming through. Right. And you, you, the baby is your master. You are the servant. And you're thinking that every time that feeding comes around at 2 a.m., aren't you? Yeah. Yep. And babies, you can't tell them, get your own bottle. They don't listen. Jesus told us that to come to him, he wants us to be his little children, not babies. Little children are teachable. Their brains have developed to the point we can teach them, they can learn, they can respond. Why do we call new Christians baby Christians when all it does is set them on the defense from the get-go? 
So first thing that has to happen to serve in the believer and a believing body is you've got to believe in Jesus. And we come as a child, not a baby, to learn. And even we let children help because they're learning at home. Do you not let your, you wouldn't let your baby try to run the mixer to help you bake a cake. But we will let a five or six year old run the mixer for mommy. Put the spoon it into the tray to make the cookies, right? We let children serve. We have to follow Christ's example and be as little children. Number two, saved. I get saved and I go on Sundays. I did that. I did that for three years. I went every Sunday or sometimes Saturday night. They had a Saturday night service where I was going. And when I go, um, I don't think I hardly ever missed in three years. I never met the pastor. It wasn't a place much bigger than this. I didn't know anybody's name. No one ever invited me to go to lunch. No one knew who I was. I just came, sat in a chair, and left when the service was over. I was touched by God during worship, but I never made any connections. Same church, three years, never met the pastor, the elder, nobody. Part of that was my own responsibility. I didn't want anyone to know that I didn't know anything about God. Part of that was just that this body wasn't serving each other. Okay? The other thing that can happen when you go only on Sundays, you get saved, you go to church on Sundays, you beat it in the door and you beat it out because this happened to me. I like the fence. How many of you like the fence? Don't raise your hands. I like the fence. I could continue doing what I was doing and still go to church on Sundays. When you're a part of the world and you're part of the family of Christ, you like that fence. But you can't live, let people on this side get too close to you because then they'll find out that you're still over here, right? So here I was living with part of me on the other side of the fence from Saturday through, from uh, Monday through Saturday. And then on Sunday, I was in church until I got to come out. And then things all went back to the way they were. And I was the same person. I did not want to be found out. And sometimes we have to realize that we can't change the things that draw us into the world until we start serving people in our community, in our body, and then God changes our heart. We love him more. And the next thing we know is we're not over here so much on that side of the fence. We've come, we're pulling out of it. There's a documentary, because our culture, you know, the world's culture, it's strong. It's attractive. It draws you. There's a lot of things in there that are kind of pleasant, make you feel good, but aren't spiritually good for us. And it, it has a powerful, powerful draw. In, in, um, there's a documentary 
called God Grew Tired of Us. And it's about the lost boys of the Sudan. And uh, these, these young men uh, and, some, and some women, at night, the Muslims would come into their village and kill the families. So everybody would run when their village was attacked. And the children, the parents would send out their children while they fought to save their families. And most of these kids have no fathers. They've watched their parents be murdered. There's not just thousands of them. There's tens of thousands of them. Because it's been going on since the early 90s. So these young men live a, mind, live a life of things that they can't unsee. And why were they killed? Because of their culture. They loved, and they still do love, Jesus Christ. They love their families. Not only did they become refugees of the Sudan, but many of them were refugees of the, Su the Sudan and Ethiopia. And they ended up in camps in Kenya that still exist, formed like 1991, I believe, and those camps are still there today. It's a struggle for them just to make basic needs. And so somebody decided to take a group of men, and I believe there were three of them. This, this documentary follows three of them, although this has happened to hundreds, thousands of them. Three of them were given an opportunity to come to the United States. Never been on an airplane. Didn't even know what the pat of butter in the little container was. This is how foreign everything was for them. They didn't know what a refrigerator was, and that chicken actually comes in a package that you can put in the freezer. One of those men, John Dow, became a leader in his community. He speaks in this documentary to some boys, and they're young men, about keeping their culture, family, and faith in Jesus Christ. And he says to them, quote, being a Dinka man, it requires you to help. That's very important. But I'm worried with the young guys, the Sudanese young guys, those who can easily give up whatever they have. What if they forsake their culture? And he says to these young men, what are you doing there? The way you are dressing, the way you are doing your hair, the way you are conducting yourself, you are away from our culture. Please come back. And he says to us in the movie, direct confrontation. Even if they don't want it, tell them, change from there. Come back. I realize that we live in the world and we have to live in the culture, but we don't have to adopt the culture. We can be who we are. We can be the Christian, the, in Christ the way we were called to be in Christ, and we can live in both places and just not be a party to one of them. Okay. Number three, we must get better as a person to serve. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> in chapter 8 of John, 
There's a story about a woman who's an adulter, adulteress. She gets caught in the very act, and they bring her to Jesus. Who brings her? The Pharisees and the scribes bring her. The keepers of the law, the people who know the law inside and out, and supposed to be the ones who are obeying it the best, right? So they bring her in front of Jesus and say, we're going to stone her because she's, we caught her. The law says we have to stone her. And so Jesus tells them, whoever, whichever one of you has um, no sin, let him cast the first stone. Well, guess what? Everybody left. This may be news to some of you, but there are sinners in the church. I know when I first got saved, that was, I did not understand that. I thought everybody was supposed to be holy. And when I got in there, I saw some of these people, not, and this wasn't where I was, so just <laughs> exit out here, um, not acting real holy, not acting perfect. No one took the time to explain to me that when I got saved, all the stuff I was doing to try to act perfect wasn't going to work. I was not perfect. Everybody kept telling me, you are now a new person. You're a baby. <laughs> so here, here we have sinners, all of us, but for the blood. Okay? And we can be the hardest on each other. The way I was, looking around going, who are they all? Look at that person. Okay? And since we're all sinners, and we're all in the process of changing our character from who it is to what Jesus wants us to be, we need to have a little bit more mercy and grace towards each other, a little more understanding right here between these walls, right? Just because God sanctified me in one area, I have to remember that he may not have dealt with you yet in that area. We're not, in the all, we're not all in the same place at the same time. Okay. Number four, uh, someone else will do it. I'm not needed, and I'm too busy. I am queen of, I'm too busy. I've let relationships go, friendships, because I was too busy. And God really, in a while you're going to hear about how busy I was, but um, God gave me an understanding that I was going to die one day, and the thing that was keeping me busy, work, nobody was going to care, much less him. And I had to figure out a way to get unbusy. So my life got blessed with having a vision at work that involved other people and not just me. And I gave up things that I'd been doing into other people's laps. And, you know, we're all part-time now. We have time, okay? But I'm queen of too busy, but not anymore. I'm letting it go. Okay. And you know what busy means? 
Anybody know what the acronym for busy is? Being under Satan's yoke. Ooh, made me look at it a lot differently. Number five, you don't need to go to church to meet with God. Well, that's true, but within that is buried something more. A lot of people don't come who say that, that I've met anyway, are hurt or offended with a church or a person, usually, within the church walls. Okay? There was a, a man who preached a sermon here, and he doesn't go to our church, but he said, Listen to me. If you have not been offended four times and are not still here, you're not really part of the family. And he was right. People are going to people are going to hurt our feelings. You're going to get hurt. Your own kids hurt you. Your own mother hurts you. Your own father hurts you. But you don't quit. And you know why else some people don't go to church? Because there's hypocrites in here. There's people who are Christian in Christ, and they're not perfect. Somebody didn't disciple this person, right? Because if this person had been properly taught from the time they got saved, they didn't get the Ray Comfort. I got scared into getting saved. Ray Comfort, I'm going to hell. I said that. I don't want to go to hell. What do I got to do not to go to hell? Get saved, receive Jesus Christ. And I thought I was good to go hell now. That was a scary thing. But there was more to it. And that's why I didn't know. I was one of the people that said there were hypocrites in the church. That's why I don't go. Why? Because I didn't put myself in a position and nobody took the time to tell me you are not perfect. You're a work in progress. And so is everybody else. Oh. I get it now. Galatians 6.10 says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. That's each other. That's our family. Our household right here. Okay? And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. Hebrews 10. Do we not see the day approaching? Don't we need help staying on the right path? That's what we're here for, to help each other stay on the right path, to help each other. When one falls down, the other friend can help them up. Number six, I went through some training when I was on the board for Christian Women's Job Corps, and the trainer spoke of a poverty mentality or a poverty principle. And what that principle, it was many principle, many points under this. One point was a person with a poverty mentality or a poverty principle may have an electric bill of $100, and then but only have 50 bucks to pay it. So instead of putting the $50 towards the electric bill, they just blow it on something else. 
some of us have a poverty mentality in terms of service. If we can't run it, if we're not going to make this huge monumental, monumental Billy Graham type difference, we're not going to do it. We're not going to do anything. I want to remind you in chapter 4, John, Jesus is, at the, Jesus is going through Samaria. A, he's not supposed to be in Samaria. He's a Jew. He's not supposed to even be there. B, he stops at this well. He talks to this woman. Uh, to B, he's talking to a woman. Not supposed to be there talking to a woman. And guess what? She's a Samaritan woman. And he's just having a conversation with her. But their conversation ends up with her accepting Jesus Christ, realizing that he is the Messiah. Just a simple little conversation. And that small conversation turned into an entire town being saved. An entire town being saved. Where were his disciples while he was meeting with this woman in that place? (laughs) They were what? Shopping. That's right. They went to go get the food. They were serving him. They were shopping. I like that. Number seven. I'm waiting to hear what God tells me to do. I I thought that too. Um, You know, have you ever driven down a road and been the first person to come upon a bad accident? I'm waiting on God to tell me what to do. I don't hear any voice saying to stop. I'm just going to keep on going. No, we pull over. We pull over to help. How much more do we not help each other? You know? Jesus says in John 4:37, one sows, another reaps. That means we all got things that we're doing. It's not going to all look the same. It doesn't matter if you're teaching children's church, working in the nursery, or you're in the kitchen all night at an outreach, or you're attending a prayer meeting. All of us are involved in the harvest. All of us. All of us are involved in serving so that there can be a harvest. The other thing that was spoken over me one time was, I had a ministry and a calling on my life. I was a new Christian, baby, and I had this ministry and calling on my life. Well, I was waiting to find out what it was. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what it was, so I didn't do anything. Sometimes we talk to people so far up here when they're new Christians that they don't know. You have this, you paint this picture of a ministry and a calling. I'm thinking, stadiums filled with people coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. How do I get there? Remember? I wasn't being discipled. No one offered. I didn't, I didn't want to even know why I was ignorant. No one came alongside me, was my friend, became my family. No one. So here I was. So I, I did what everybody else would do. Nothing. Because I had this calling and couldn't do a thing. Let's not tell people that anymore, especially if they're new. Unless you have a specific calling and you can give them direction and take ownership of it. 
talking to you today about this because God talked to me about it. When he talked to me about it, he said to me, you, Marietta. He didn't say you out here. He said you, Marietta. But he gave me over the course of several months um, a writing where he was speaking directly to me. And I I changed the words for today, because it was you, the way he gave it to me, you, Marietta, to I, and I'm going to recite it to you today as a declaration over myself, but i got to believe that there are other people in here that need to hear this in their life, that you are tired of just sitting, doing nothing in the kingdom, and you know you can be doing more. The title is, I Don't Just Occupy Space. I am not here just to take up space, eating, consuming, satiating my appetite, leaving a trail of excrement in my wake. I am not a bookmark on this earth, a flower pressed against the pages of life. I am not a piece of art, a sculpture, a thing perched idly on some shelf whose only purpose is to be seen, admired, gazed at, mutely sitting, waiting for someone else to decide I need to be knocked off, trashed, kicked to the curb, destroyed. I am not, I, I am not a cosmic random event, an accident of love or lust to make me one unique egg among hundreds, and one unique seed among dozens of millions joined together in a dance of violent passion and created the being you see standing before you, me. He stretched out the heavens overhead and decorated with planets, moons, stars, the sun, and the Milky Way. He created this earth and everything in it. He formed the oceans and the life they hold. He breathed his breath into this world so that I could inflate my lungs and live. He sent his son here to redeem that which he created, me, to himself. So that the pain I was meant to have in death, ostracized, from the king would not transpire for me if I would but welcome him in my core. He was beaten into an unrecognizable, bloody, ripped, shredded, torn mess for me. He didn't do all that so I could sit in my place on Sundays. He didn't endure all the pain so that I could have a stairway to heaven. He didn't drink the cup set before him so that I could just occupy space. He was ripped, but not with muscles. He was heavy duty, but not in his body. He was bad, but not in attitude. He endured all, but not for himself. He overcame so I could overcome. He took on the public display of torture and humiliation. He took on the devil and his kingdom. He took on all that I deserved. 
to lay the foundation on which I must stand, to prepare the path which I must march, to give me the bread which I must part, to give me the seed which I must spread, to give me the water that I must pour. The chance of being born as me was one in 12 billion. That's twice the current population of this planet. My existence was orchestrated at this moment, in this place, not for me to consummate my cravings, my delusions, my timetable, but to accomplish his design, using his strategy for his magnificence. I must move, motivate, ambulate, hike, trek, saunter, stroll, sashay, strut, swagger. I will not remain fettered, fixed, moored, chained, fastened, shackled, handcuffed, bound, constrained, restrained to where I am. I will dislocate, disturb, disentangle, oust, eject, extricate, break free. I do not just occupy space and effigy pointing to the path. My requisite is to illustrate, demonstrate, exhibit the way to metamorph, reform, modify my earthly existence, to watch for and walk through every door, to bring the kingdom to the lost, to share all that I was given without cost to me. I am not here just to occupy space. I am in Christ, a soldier and a comforter. I am in Christ, a warrior and a child of the Most High. I am in Christ, the help to someone in darkness. I am in Christ, salt and light to the world. I am in Christ, a culture changer. I am in Christ, significant and essential. I have a place to fill, a job to do, assignments to complete. No, I do not just occupy space. We are part of the same herd. We're all different, but we all belong in the same family, the family of the kingdom of God here on earth. We are not here to hold our spot, but to serve God and each other. And we are part of the continual expansion of the kingdom of heaven here on earth until the Lord returns for us or until we go to him. Today, if you don't know, if you don't, what I'm talking about, being part of the family, you're not in it yet, we want you in our family. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you feel Jesus kind of tugging at your heart, and you're thinking, well, I kind of like to be a part of something bigger than myself, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. So 
If everybody would join me by bowing your heads and closing your eyes. And uh, if you want to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, I would ask that you raise your hand and make, uh, look at me, make eye contact, raise your hand, raise your head, make eye contact with me so that I know that I see you. If you want to be part of this family, if you haven't made a decision yet and you want to do that today, please um, know that we want you in our family. You are welcome just the way you are. You don't need to get perfect. I'd like everyone to repeat this prayer with me. I believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Jesus, I believe you came to earth. You died and you came back to life. And then you rose to heaven. I repent of my sins in the past. I ask you to come into my heart and to change me into your image. Thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, um, we have a gift for you. And so in a minute, I'm going to call the prayer ministry team forward. I'd like you to come up and tell one of them. You can bring a friend with you. Um, tell one of them that you made, your, you made a decision. Uh, <clears throat> in your bulletin today, there's a... There's this guest communication card. But if you flip it over, I want you to look at the reverse. In there is a ministries and connections. And we have a list of places that we need people to serve. We need you to be the hand, the foot, the eye that you have been called to be in this body. We need your help. We are not whole without you. We don't care where you are or where you came from. We want you. And if you don't know, can't check off one of these things, there's a blank line in the bottom. And just put down there, I don't know, but I want to do something. If you know, if, if you know that you're not doing everything that you could be doing in the kingdom, and you're ready to take that step into service, into helping, into being a part, and not just a pew sitter like I was. We want, I want you to, when the prayer team comes forward, I'd like you to come up as well for some prayer. If you've been ministering and you've been a part of something, this family, and it's bigger, but you need to be refreshed, and you have a fountain of living water that's starting to running dry and you want that fountain refreshed, come up here. We'll pray with you for that refreshing. Thank you.